We're going to talk today about what is the body of Christ. Who are we? Who are we? And what are, what is our function in this life? We were not just born to go and do a job and then die. We were put here on this earth to do something that nobody but us could do. We're everyone unique and we everyone were created with a purpose and no one can do our job but us. We're the only one that can do it. And so the Bible says that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Praise God. That's the only thing it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against is the church of Jesus Christ. So who is the church of Jesus Christ? How do I hope I don't lipstick all over me when I wear a mask? <laughs> you know, everybody's faith is different on COVID. Dirt on I, our faith is we're not going to get it. Some people, they don't care if they get it. Their faith is they're just going to get over it, you know. <laughs> and uh, But our faith is we're not going to get it. So we do everything. We use our brains. We do everything possible that God has provided to keep from getting it. And then we use our faith because um, we are both almost 70. And COVID does not do well in older people. Everybody knows that. We lost a beloved member of our body last week to COVID. It just broke our hearts. You know, but uh, so we we all still wear masks in Camden. We wear these little badges that say we do this because we love you. We have a lot of older people in Camden than y'all have in El Dorado. And older people are still the most at high risk for COVID. So we all still wear our masks there just in case an older person comes in, you know, that's not vaccinated. And we had a member of our praise team last week on the praise team had no idea she had COVID. And uh, thankfully, she wore her mask till she got up on the stage, took it off when she sang, put it back on when she left, and she tested positive on Wednesday. But nobody else in the church got it. And that's the reason that we wear our mask, because we love, we love our people that are at risk, you know. Okay, so who is the church? Well, I hope we are the church. That's what I hope, that we are the church. But just because we think that we are the church, it doesn't make us the church. We have to be what the Word of God says for us to be the church. The church has several names in the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of them this morning. We're going to go as far as we have time to go. Uh, the first one I want us to look at is that, because uh, see, if the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, then we need to know who is the church. You know, Jesus said on that day, many are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these miracles in your name and everything? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. So they were sinners calling themselves Christians. See, that's very possible to happen. We can be sinners calling ourselves Christians and live a deceived life thinking we are the church of Jesus Christ. When we get to the gates of hell, he's going to say, I don't know you. So that's what we've got to keep from happening. That's what we have to keep from happening in our lives. That when we get there, Jesus don't look at us and say, I don't know you. Because that could very possibly happen. You know, people say all the time, I don't go to church because I don't want to go to church with the hypocrites. Well, do you want to go to hell with them? Because that's where they're going to go. You know, when you just love living throughout eternity with all the hypocrites, do you realize, and, and you know, you'll hear people say, well, I don't go to church because uh, I don't like that pastor. Well, let me tell you this. Do you know Jesus went to church every Saturday 
knowing that his pastor was going to kill him? Think about that. He knew every Saturday when he went to the house of God that that Pharisee standing in that pulpit was going to kill him. So why did he go? Because his father told him to. Why do we go to church? Because Jesus told us to. That's why we go to church. Because Jesus told us to. And Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So let's look at who the bride of Christ is. We'll read you a couple of scriptures here. Lift up your eyes all around and see. All they gather come to you. And as I live, says the Lord, you will wear them as an ornament and bind them on the way a bride does. See, when you go to a wedding, you don't go to see the groom, right? The bride is the one who's all decked out and who all the money is spent on and gets all the attention. And and what Jesus does for his bride, he adorns us with all these precious jewels. And he said, look up and see all these people coming from the north side of the east. Bride, you're going to adorn yourself with them. All these precious people that come to Jesus, that's who we adorn ourselves as the body of Christ. See, you are not the church. You're a part of the church. The church is when the body comes together and worships the head. And people who do not love the body do not love the head. People tell us all the time, I hate church. I love Jesus, but I hate church. That's an oxymoron. (laughs) It's not possible. You cannot love Jesus' head and hate his body. See? And so... When we all come together, we're all a different function of the body. We're an arm, we're a leg, we're a mouth, we're a heart, we're a liver. We're a functioning, working part of a living body. Well, so what if you say, well, I don't want to go to church. I'm just going to stay home and watch it on TV. Well, then you're not a part of the body. You are not the church. If you don't come and put yourself with the rest of the body to create the body that is connected to the head. Now, this is hugely controversial. I know that. (laughs) But see, there is no right and wrong. There's only what God said. There's not your opinion and my opinion. It's only what God says. And so we're going to look at the scriptures to see what God thinks about his body coming together. And see, here's the thing about it. During COVID, when we had to shut down our churches, a lot of people that didn't really like church anyway, they just quit coming. And a lot of them that just stay home now and watch it online. Well, that was fine when that's all we could do. But see, now we can come back together and obey Jesus. And we can worship together. And so laziness has attacked the body of Christ. And people, that it's not important to them to obey the word and gather with the body. And all through the Old Testament, the church, the word church means come together. That's what the word means, come together, gather. That's what the word is, gather. And so uh, in the Old Testament, the first church was Noah, When the Lord told him to build that ark and put his family in that ark and they would be protected. What if his children would have said, I've never been on a boat before and I don't want to get on that boat. They would have drowned. 
See, we don't have a choice. If we want to be protected, we get on the boat. We come into the ark. We come into the body of Christ. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, my body, my gathered group of believers. The gates of hell will not prevail. So if people dig their heels in and say, well, I'm going to be saved, but I'm not going to go to church. They can do that. But they're very unprotected. You're out there at the mercy of the enemy. And you know, COVID was an attack on the church. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there were so many churches that had to close down permanently during COVID. They couldn't make their payments on their buildings. They couldn't pay their pastors. He had to go out and get another job. So many churches closed for good. And so I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful that you did not let the devil do that to you. You didn't let the devil do that to Victory Eldorado. The minute we could come back together as the church, you came back together. And you came back into the ark, the place of safety where you're protected. Isaiah 61 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with robes of righteousness, covered me with the robe uh, He has. Let me start. He clothed me with robes of salvation and covered me with robes of righteousness. Like a bridegroom adorns himself with ornaments and like a bride adorns herself with jewels. And so when the bride and the bridegroom come together, there is an adorning that place, a covering with good things, jewels and robes of righteousness and robes of salvation. Salvation means healing, you know, and all the other things, deliverance. And, you know, that's the one thing that Jardel and I really saw during this uh, time when the church wasn't able to meet. The church needs deliverance in so many areas. We've, we've in Camden pretty much neglected deliverance, and that's our, our goal now, deliverance, deliverance, freedom and deliverance. But uh, when we come together, there is an adorning covering us with good things. Psalm 62 says, For as a young man marries a virgin, so will your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so will your God rejoice over you. So you know what's happening in heaven right now? Jesus is rejoicing over us. You have come together. That's what church means. We've come together as a body to worship our head. And Jesus is rejoicing over us. He is Happy, laughing, dancing, singing, saying, punching the angel, saying, look, that's my bride down there. You see my bride? You see how beautiful she is? You see how faithful she is? See, the thing about being a bride is, if a woman is unfaithful to her husband, she's not in a bride. She's an adulteress. See? And so if we put anything in our life before Jesus... We're not the bride. We're adulterers and adulteresses. And on Sunday morning when the bride gathers to worship the bridegroom and you're not here, Jesus looks down and says, oh, no, they're committing adultery. What do you love more than you love your husband, Jesus? What do you love more than that? On Wednesday night when the bride gathers... To worship the bridegroom. And you would rather be somewhere else doing something else. And Jesus looks down and says. Oh no my bride's committing adultery again. Where would you rather be? And what would you rather be doing? Than worshiping the bridegroom. 
And see what it says here is that when we're faithful, when we're a faithful bride and we're gathering, that's what the word church is, gathering, worshiping our head, he's the head, we are his body. Then what he does is he starts rejoicing over us. He rejoices over. I want Jesus rejoicing over me. I don't want him weeping over me. I don't want him heartbroken over me being an adulteress. Jeremiah 2 says, can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me for days without number. And it breaks his heart. See, when the pandemic hit, we were running about, oh, between three and 400 in Camden. Now we're running 200. Where's our other 100 sheep? Where's our other 100? Where are they? Where are yours? I don't know how, what your numbers are. But see, the Bible says Jesus left the 99, the shepherd, and went and got the one that was lost. Are we out looking for our lost sheep? Are you out looking for the lost sheep? Are you going to your church, people that used to go to church here, your friends, your family, and you're saying, please come back to your bridegroom. Please come back. Jeremiah 33 says, the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, praise the Lord of hosts, for God is good. His mercy is forever. And the voice of those who bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. For I will cause the captivity of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. So see the promise to us, the bridegroom, bride who are putting Jesus first, is that he's going to set us free from our captivity. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to set us free from all the sins that hang on to us. Anger, laziness. He's going to set us free from financial, Satan stealing from us. He's going to set us free from sickness. That is the promise to the bride. Freedom from your captivity when we come and worship. Revelation 21 says, And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. See, a lot of people think, and you may hear this preached in funerals, that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, and we're all going to live there forever. We're not going to live in heaven forever. No, we are not. What's going to happen is, during the tribulation, when the church is raptured, and Cricket has just preached the greatest series on the rapture that I have ever heard, and if you make it in the rapture, We're going to go to heaven. We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be married to Jesus. And you know what's so unique about that? In heaven, there is no male or female. The only reason the Lord gave us male and female here on earth was to build the human race. But see, the symbol of husband and wife is the symbol of the highest form of love here on earth. So that's why he made us, the church, the symbol of bride and bridegroom. That's the highest form of love. See? But when we get to heaven, we're going to be in such a higher form of love that that we can't really comprehend. We're going to love every... I will love every one of you just exactly as much as I love my own husband. We will love each other exactly that way. The Bible says we'll know each other. You know, that's why prejudiced people are not going to go to heaven. Because Jesus said, if you can't love your brother that you have seen, how are you going to love God you've never seen? 
I just want to say, anybody's watching on Facebook, if you're prejudiced, you're not going. Jesus said, if you don't love your brother that you can look at, you don't love God. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. No sense in hitting me. So you got to learn how to love if you're going to make it up there. But anyway, the church is going to be raptured. We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, then we're going to go through all the things that go through. And then the earth is going to be destroyed with a fervent heat. That's why all this uh, fussing and fighting over global warming. You know, the Bible says this earth is going to burn up. There's no point in getting in all this political garbage that's going on in the world right now, keeping everybody fussing and fighting. It's just a distraction to get you off of winning the lost. And so uh, if you're taking stands in all this political mess that's going on in the world, then you're taking stand against half the people. You're on one side or the other. So you are taking a stand against half the people. How do you love them if you're taking a stand against them? You know, we're supposed to be getting them saved. And so uh, the, the, this earth is going to burn up with fervent heat. I don't know what's going to cause it. It could be a nuclear war. It could be global warming. Anyway, it's going to burn up. And God is going to recreate the heaven and the earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And no devil. And then the new Jerusalem, us, the church, the bride, the lamb's wife, is going to come down out of heaven and set on this beautiful new earth. This is where we're going to live forever. In our glorified bodies, which I think will be able to travel to other planets, travel through space. The Bible says that there will be animals here. The lamb and the lion will lie down together. You know, the child will play with the serpent. We're going to learn to serve. We're going to swim with the dolphins. Nothing's going to hurt in all God's holy name. And so we have so much to look forward to. And we're going to live forever. And if there's people you can't love here on this earth, you're not going to make it there. Because we're going to all love each other with a whole new level of love we can't even imagine. Uh, Revelation 21 says, And one of the seven angels who had the seven veils full of the seven last plagues. And you know, this uh, pandemic that we went through is a plague. And it's not going to compare to the plagues that are coming on the earth. And so if we get caught up in this silly fussing and fighting that's going on over all this mess, I have never in my life seen such rebellion. I was raised in the 70s during the Vietnam War, and we thought that was rebellion. People marching up and down the streets naked, holding up signs. We refused to go to Vietnam, going to those Woodstock, those big festivals. You know, we thought that was rebellion. It doesn't compare to what's going on now. I mean, just pure hatred everywhere you turn. The Democrats hate the Republicans. The Republicans hate the Democrats. You know, everybody hates everybody. Pure, outright rebellion. But see, we're not of this world. We're of the kingdom of God. We have only four goals. Love God with all our heart. Love people. Win the lost and make disciples. That's the four things we do every single day. Nothing else matters. And try to take care of yourself and live as long as you can so that you can stay here to do your job, you know. Because when our job is finished, we go. No matter what age we are, 
Jesus left at 33 because his job was finished, you know. And so let's get up every day, learn to love God. And let me just say this about learning to love God. If you were raised in a home where you weren't really loved with the love of God, and none of us really were raised by parents that loved like God, exactly like God. Some parents are better than other parents, but there's no parents that are just like God. So we all grew up with a warped view of love, right? If a parent deserted you, you grew up with the fear that God would desert you. If a parent abused you, you grow up with the fear that God would abuse you and do you wrong. If you grow up with parents that fussed and fought all the time, strife is, you are a drama queen. You love strife. And you know, and on and on. But see, what we got to do is learn what real love is. Real love is God. And the only way we're ever going to love with that kind of love is we got to go to the Word and say, what would God do about that? What would God do about that? How would he handle that? I remember one time, a long time ago, when all that, uh, right after 9-11, and they had captured all the terrorists, and they were abusing them at uh, Guantanamo, you know, doing all that. And I was sitting out in my flower bed, weeding my flowers, and I said, God, how do you feel about that? And God spoke to me just as clear, and he said, I dearly love the Arab nation. The Lord don't want anybody abused. He didn't want them to blow up our buildings, but he didn't want us to retaliate and beat devils back to them either. God's desire is for us to love everybody. Even if they don't agree with us, even if they don't look like us, even if they don't worship the same God we do, that's no right to not love them. You'll never win anybody to the Lord if you don't love them. You'll never win a person to the Lord if you hate them, ever. Love is the only thing that never fails. Uh, So, I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) That happens. (laughs) The older I get, the more it happens. (laughs) All right, so let's go back. So, the spirit and the bride say, come. Oh, I wonder what I was going to say. If you want to learn how to love like God, there's only one way. You study the life of Jesus. He's the only human that ever lived that loved like God. And if we do it like Jesus did it, we will love like God. Then the second thing, we've got to learn to love people just like Jesus loved people. Just like. See, the problem in the church is there's so much unforgiveness. Because people do you wrong, you think you have a right to be angry and unforgiving. But Jesus was the most rejected man in the world. And he still did not retaliate against people. Even if they didn't love him and didn't want to have nothing to do with him, he loved them anyway. He didn't hang out with them. He didn't hang out with the Pharisees and the ones who were going to kill him, but he still loved them. And anytime they came to him with a question, he would answer them truthfully, you know. And then the third thing is we've got to win the lost. That if we don't win the lost, we are absolutely no good to Jesus on this earth. We're just taking up space, breathing air that somebody else could be breathing. If we are not out winning the lost. Everywhere you go, there's lost people. Everywhere. The grocery store, Walmart, your own families. You know? And then the last one is make disciples. Out of those all. Bring them into the house of God and make disciples. And everybody in this church should have a job. That you are being used to make disciples. That don't mean you've got to teach. 
or preach, you can stand at the door and love everybody that comes through that door. We can't do that right now. We're still on a no-touch basis in Camden. Like I said, we have a lot more older people than y'all do, and we're protecting our older people. But uh, you can bump elbows, <laughs> and you can wave and say, I'm so thankful you're here today. You know, Help them find the sanctuary. Help them find the bathrooms. Be the sweetest, friendliest, kindest person. I remember one time, Jordan and I visited this church. We were on vacation. We stopped on a Sunday night to go to church, or maybe it was Sunday morning. Anyway, we walked in that church and sat down. Not one person said a word to us the entire time we were there. We got up and we walked out. Everybody just kind of stared. Nobody said anything to us. So we were walking to the car. And I said, <laughs> I said, Jordan, that is the most unfriendly church I have ever been in. I turned around. There was somebody right behind me. You know, and then you have to take your foot out of your mouth and see if your shoe is still on. <laughs> or see if you've got athlete's tongue. <laughs> but when people visit our church and we're not friendly, we're not the body of Christ. Jesus don't act like that. You know, when we walk out, get out of our car on this parking lot, we come here with something to do. And we need to come in here and do it for Jesus. Okay, so the spirit and the bride say, what? Come. Are, are you filled with the Holy Spirit and every day are you saying, bridegroom, come and get me. I'm ready. Or are you saying, let me get the sin out of my life first. <laughs> then come and get me. <laughs> and let everyone who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And he willing and he can willingly take of the water of life freely so let's be the bride let's step up and be the bride of christ let's love him more than anything else in the world let's be a faithful bride let's not be adulteresses and adulterers and put other things more important in our life if you're married to somebody and you get up in the morning they don't say a word to you all day long they don't talk to you they go back to bed at night don't talk to you what, how long do you think that marriage will last? Well, many, many, many people that consider themselves Christians never talk to God. They don't pray. And they don't let God talk to them. Because when we read the Bible, God's talking to us. That's his words coming to us. And so, if he's not the first thing in our life every day, let's make him the first thing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what he says is right. And then he'll give you everything you want. I have lived a long time. And there's not a single thing in my life that I want. Except to pe- see more people saved. That's all I want. Is to see more people saved. I've got every physical thing I want. Every material thing I want. Every single time the enemy attacks my body, God heals me. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that he's faithful. His word is true. The only thing I want is before I go to see more people saved. You realize when we get to heaven, our rewards are based on the amount of people we get saved. There's going to be a lot of Christians that make it by the skin of their teeth have no rewards. See? we got to get busy doing what Jesus put us here to do. Okay, now the, another name for the church. All through the Old Testament, there's a lot of different names for the church. 
church is mentioned in the Old Testament, the church in the wilderness. But when Abraham came to God and God created the covenant, uh, uh, when God came to Abraham and Abraham accepted him and the covenant was created, then Abraham, of course, had Isaac when Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And it, they, he became known as the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, Esau... Uh, uh, Esau got dropped out of that because Esau didn't choose to pursue God. He was in that family, but he chose not to pursue God. And so Jacob means deceiver. And buddy, was he a deceiver. And you know how he got to be such a good deceiver? His mother taught him. His mama taught him to deceive her husband. Now... I am old-fashioned. I'm a person of the word. I believe wives submit to their husbands. I believe Jesus is the head of the church. The man is the head of the wife. And so when we as wives get up every day, our goal is to be our husband's helpmeet. We don't get up with our own agenda. We don't get up saying, this is what I'm going to do today, and this is where I'm going to go today. We get up. Our agenda is to help. Our husband. And that automatically puts us in line to our first husband, Jesus. We get up every day. My job is to help Jesus today. I'm his bride. I'm his helpmeet. You know, we used to have a family that used to go to church here in Eldredi years ago. And, uh, well, actually, it was the daughter that went to church here. And the mother did not want her daughter going to church here because we were an archaic church that believed all that junk about women submitting to men, put us back 200 years in history, putting women under the feet of men. See, I don't write the Bible. I only preach it. And if Jesus said it, it don't matter what anybody else says. Everything else is garbage. Only what Jesus said is truth. And so when when we get up in the morning, our agenda is to be a helpmate. Help our husbands. Help our children. Did you realize that Abraham became rich because of Sarah? A lot of people don't realize that. He became rich because his wife submitted to him. But anyway, that's not what I'm preaching on. Let's, where was I? Okay, so Esau did not submit to his parents. Uh, so Rebekah taught Jacob to deceive his father and steal the birthright. So he had to run for his life because his brother was going to kill him. So he gets over in this foreign nation, I mean, and he marries, and he has a big family. So now his father-in-law is trying to kill him. So he's got to run again. See, that's what happens to deceived people. You spend your life running from people that you've made mad. Because you have deceived them in some way. You've lied to them. You've tricked them. You've done them wrong. And so you're running from people all your life. And so this is what happened to Jacob. He was running for his life again. And so he would... See, that is the people in the church who are deceived. How do you know if you're deceived? You don't. Deceived people don't know they're deceived. It says in the book of James, don't be a hearer of the word and not a doer deceiving yourself. The devil didn't even deceive you. You deceived yourself. How many people go sit in church every Sunday and hear the word preached and go right out and just continue on their sin? You know, and the Lord usually gives the pastor a word 
to help you get free from your sin. And when you walk out of that church and you don't take any, uh, you don't take correction from God who sent his word, no matter who he sent it through, then you have just deceived yourself. And the more deceived you are, the, the stronger that hold of deception has on you. And so what happens is when Jacob was running for his life back to the promised land, he had ran from the promised land because he had done his brother and his father wrong, and, and his brother's going to kill him. So he goes out here, and now his father-in-law is trying to kill him, and he's running back. It, this was his last chance to get it right. And see, when you, if you are in the church and you're saved, but you're living a life of, dece- of deception, you're going to hit your last battle. And Jacob hit his last battle. And you remember what happened? The angel met him, and he wrestled with the angel all night long. And it was becoming daylight, and the angel said, I'm, I've got to go. And he said, he grabbed him and said, you're not going to leave until you bless me. And he repented. He changed from being the deceiver. And God changed his name to Israel, contender for God, warrior for God, warrior for God. When he hit his last battle of his deception, if he hadn't won it there, that would have been the end of him. And see, if you're here this morning and you're deceived, you're living a life of sin and calling yourself a Christian, this is your time. Repent. Ask God to open your eyes. You know, about 40 years ago, a preacher came to me in Jordan, and he laid into us, called us every name in the book. And six months later, he died of a heart attack. He's a very young man. A few years ago, a young man came to Jordan and I in the church. He was really angry at us. He called us all kinds of names. Six months later, he died with a heart attack. So what I'm telling you is you're going to reach a place in your life. God's going to say, enough. Stop being deceived. Repent. Become a warrior and get that sin out of your life. Become a warrior and get that sin out of your life. Become Israel and not Jacob. Okay. We're going to pray about that in just a minute. There's one more name that I want to give you. I wish we had time to go through all the names, but we don't. Uh, another name for the body of Christ is uh, Zion. This is my favorite. The word Zion means hot, on fire with love for God. Hot for God. You know how it's kind of like when a dog goes in heat? <laughs> that means he's wanting to make. Well, we should stay in heat for God. We want to be on fire all the time. Let me read you a scripture that tells you that right out of the Bible. It says, Jesus said, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I would rather you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Does that sound like Jesus? You hear these people that say, oh, Jesus is always love. He never does get on to you about anything. He's never, you know, they don't know the same Jesus I know. (laughs) Correction. Jesus said, if I don't correct you, you're not my child. You're an illegitimate child. He uses a different word. (laughs) 
So if we're God's child, he's going to correct us. Parents who don't correct their children raise monsters. Work in the public school. I mean, work in school for a while. <laughs> My dad used to say, he was in education 52, 42 years. He said, it's never a kid problem. It's always a parent problem. I've got to the point where I have to, when I have to call a parent in, I always say, this is not a kid problem. This is a parent problem. <laughs> Because that parent has given that child the ability to rebel against authority and think it's okay. You know, but the buck stops when they get in my office. <laughs> it's not okay. Uh, all right, so, so if what is lukewarm? Hot is Zion, the true church. Cold are the lost people that don't care one thing about God. Lukewarm are the hypocrites. The ones who kill Jesus. No wonder he wants to vomit them out of his mouth. They're the ones who walk around saying, oh, I'm blessed, happy, and prosperous. And are devils to everybody they know. Drama queens. Rebellers on the job. Causing all kinds of strife everywhere they go. Leaving a trail of bodies behind them. Those people get in the church. They get in the church, believe me. And so... What happens is, Jesus said, you either get hot on fire for me, or I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Those are the ones that are going to come to him on that day and say, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? I taught Sunday school. I drove the church bus. I was. I did all this stuff. He's going to say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you sinners. It don't matter what you call yourself, it's what he calls you. See, it's what he calls you. And so what we've got to learn to do is be on fire. We've got to be Zion, the church that loves Jesus more than we love anything else. That's who we've got to be. Y'all are not smiling a lot. I guess I'm glad the lights are off. <laughs> I had somebody got so mad at me the other day. They called me everything but a person. <laughs> And so I was praying about it. And on my way to church this morning, I still pray and said, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how to help this person. I can't go to them, can't talk to them. They're just going to get worse, be more belligerent, you know. And the Lord said, leave them alone. Let me deal with it. When we get saved, one of the benefits of being the bride of Christ, he said, your enemies become my enemies. I defend my bride. And when somebody attacks me and I didn't do anything to them, now if I did something to them, I'm just getting what I deserve. You reap what you sow. But if you didn't do anything and somebody just attacks you, then you don't have to do anything but just keep loving that person and Jesus deals with it. Because he said, your enemies become my enemies. I defend my bride. I'm sure all of you husbands do not allow people to go around picking on your wives. You know? Well, Jesus don't either. So, but see, we have to do our part. We got to love people. We got to love our enemies. We got to rejoice, shout for joy when people are cruel to us, you know. But anyway, uh, God said, I am going to save Zion. Now, these are the people that are hot on fire. This is the faithful bride of Christ. This is the ones who have quit being deceived Jacob and become warrior Israels. And I will build 
the cities of Judah. We're not going to have time to get into Judah. Judah are the, is the church that worships all the time. Like we talking about, we worship God all day, every day. It's not talking about people who get on stage and sing. Not talking about praise teams. It's not talking about singers. It's talking about people that all day long, your heart is loving and worshiping God. It says, and all right, so what the promise here is, if we're in Zion, if we're truly the church, he's going to save us. He's going to save us. Save means heal, deliver, make a way. You know what the word intercede means? See, when Jesus left the earth, the Bible says he's ever in heaven interceding. A lot of people think the word intercede means pray for somebody or stand in the gap. Because the Bible says that, you know, God was looking for somebody standing in the gap, looking for an empty. But do you know what the word literally means? It means come along beside a person and fix their problem. We can only fix other people's problems if we pray. So that's why intercession, a lot of people think it means prayer. We can't fix anybody's problem, but if we pray and ask God and we have faith, God can. See? And so he said, I'm going to save you. If you are Zion, you're the true church, you're the faithful, you put God first in your life every day, church. You're hot on fire for God. I'm going to save you. I am going to deliver you, heal you, rescue you. And then he says, and then I'm going to build your cities. Cities in the Bible is the symbol of your family. The way they built a city in the Bible was somebody would go dig a well and their family lived around that well and other families would come and join and it would become a city. He said, I'm going to fix, I'm going to save your city, your family. I'm going to save your family. I'm going to build your family. He says, and those, and they, that they may dwell there and possess it. Your family will possess your spiritual place. I'm not worried that if the Lord don't come back before I die, my children are all in a great place, you know, and, and this church will go on greater under cricket, you know, because he and Jennifer are going to possess everything that we fought for spiritually and gained. And the descendants of his servants will inherit it. Our children have a great inheritance because we love God with all of our heart. You know, parents that don't get up and take their children to church are completely ignorant. You hear that on Facebook? Ignorant. Because the Bible says if you raise up a child the way he should go, when he is old, he will not. And you may have to drag him to church kicking and screaming and biting, cussing, but you drag him in there. Every Sunday, every Wednesday. And when they get old, guess what they're going to do? They're going to drag their kids in. But if they hear you sitting around at home talking about the pastor, bad-mouthing the pastor, bad-mouthing the Sunday school teachers, children's church work, what do you think you're doing to them? You're turning them against the body of Christ. Don't think you're going to get away with doing that and have your children in heaven. Okay, i got to move on before I get ugly. <laughs> Isaiah 51, we'll close with this one. For the Lord will comfort Zion. See, when you're hot on fire for God, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. <laughs> that don't sound like that goes together, does it? <laughs> the devil hates us, and he's going to try to make us miserable every day if we let him. 
He's going to come after us every single day. He normally does it through your mate. Do you know that? That's your number one point of strife. They'll say or do something, take you for advantage, and then that anger wants to whoop. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You can get along with everybody but your mate. Every day the devil comes after us. Every single day. If it ain't your mate, it's your job when you get to work. Your boss when you get to work. <laughs> uh, but God says he's going to comfort the church. With all of our afflictions that we go through, he's going to comfort us. We have that promise. That's why Jesus sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He sent the comforter to us to comfort us in our battles every day. If our battle is just getting up and hitting our toe and turning it backwards and turning it purple, the comforter is going to comfort us every day. If it's getting a letter in the mail, you're going to get audited by the IRS. Are you going to freak? Are you going to be comforted by the Holy Spirit? You know? He comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. Where is, what are your waste places? Is it your help, your children, your finances, your job? Any place the devil is wrecking havoc? He will comfort. He will bring comfort into that situation. To Zion, the true and faithful bride of Christ. He will make all her wildernesses like Eden. The beautiful garden of God where all Adam had to do was get up every day, walk through that beautiful place and enjoy it. That's a promise to Zion. He will make all of our, he will make our life like Eden. He will make our desert like the garden of God. And joy and gladness will be found there and thanksgiving and the voice of singing. So why could we not want to be Zion? With, and I didn't even get started. I have hundreds of promises to the church that is on fire for Jesus. So I want us to pray now. And I want to, first thing I want us to do, if we've not been the church that's on fire for Jesus, we got to repent. If we let rebellion into our lives where we, re- we talk bad about our authority, wives, if you are bad-mouthing your husbands, children, if you're bad-mouthing your parents, church people, if you're bad-mouthing your pastor, any a, a level of rebellion, see, rebellion is witchcraft. And anytime you walk in any level of rebellion, you become a witch operating in Satan's kingdom. Light and darkness can't dwell in the same place. You continue to do that, and you're going to lose your light. And you're going to live in complete darkness. And so, we're going to repent for rebellion. And we're going to repent for laziness. Just not putting Jesus first in our life every day. And not coming to church faithful and being the faithful bride. We're going to repent for being adulterers and adulteresses. And we're going to repent... For everything that we've allowed to stay in our life, every sin, and we babied it and cuddled it and made excuses for it, instead of hating it and asking the Holy Spirit to kill it. See, if we hate our sin, do you know the Holy Ghost will kill it for us? But if we love it, the Holy Ghost can't do anything. If you've got a sin in your life, you need to say every day, I hate this sin. I hate cussing. I hate anger. I hate laziness. Whatever your sin is. I hate strife. I will not let strife rule in my house anymore. And if you hate that sin bad enough, the Holy Ghost will kill it for you. See? But our first place of starting is repentance. The word repentance don't mean saying I'm sorry. Repent means change your mind. 
metanuo, change your mind. And so the reason you've done those things, if you've done them, is because you think that it's okay or that's the right way to do it. But as long as you think that way, you can't quit doing it. But if you can quit the way you think, you can quit doing it. See? So the Bible says when we ask God, when we go to God and we say, God, I sinned. And you know what your problem is. And you say, God, this is wrong. Then you say, then you ask God to forgive you and wash it away with his blood. Then the Bible says God will give you repentance. A changed mind. So who repents? Anybody who needs to change their mind, and then God will give you repentance, a changed mind. And it's easy to do the right thing when you think the right thing. See? When you think that it's wrong to lay in bed on God's day, you're not going to lay there. You're going to get up and be the faithful bride of Christ. But as long as you lay there and think, oh, it don't matter. I can be saved. You're not going to be able to do it. So you've got to think right to do right. Repentance is thinking right to do right. That's where everything starts is through repentance. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. A lot of people think repentance just means, oh, getting saved. Oh, no. Oh, no. You should repent every single day for the rest of your life. We got to change everything we think that is not in line with the Word of God. And it takes a lifetime to do that. But every day is another day we get to change another thing we're thinking wrong into right. Because when we think right, we'll do right, then all these blessings start pouring into our lives. How many of you want your lives filled with blessing? How many of you want to be that faithful bride of Christ that He just adorns you all day long with precious things? Well, we got to think like him and act like him. So let's pray. Father, everybody pray your own prayer. Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts this morning. Forgive us for rebellion. Forgive us for evil talking, gossiping, strife, arguing. Forgive us for being unfaithful to you. Forgive us for being so consumed with our own lives that we never stop and ask you what you want us to do in our life today. Forgive us that we've not been on fire hot for you every minute of every day. Please forgive us. Wash us in your holy blood. Make us like you. We want to be your faithful bride. We want to get up every day and say, I'm your helpmeet. What can I do to help you today? What can I do to serve you? And Father, your promise to us was re- that you would give us repentance, a changed mind. I'm fully expecting for me to think different. And I'm going to go to your word and I'm going to find what your word says about every single thing that I think I'm doing wrong. And I'm going to believe you are going to change my mind and give me the power to do it right. Because what time I've got left... I want every minute of it to be pursuing you and pursuing the lost. So that when we all get up there with you at that marriage supper of the Lamb, I'm going to have hundreds of tables filled with people that I got to heaven. Because I used my mouth to tell them how great you are. You're so good to us, God. 
you know, Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus one day and they said, increase our faith. Teach us how to increase our faith. Jesus told the strangest story. He said, if you've got a servant and that servant is outside plowing the field and the day is over, when he comes in, do you say, sit down here, let me fix you something to eat? Jesus said, no. You tell that servant, you go fix me something to eat. When I'm through eating, then you can eat. And Jesus said, when you've done everything that God has told you to do, then you say, I'm an unprofitable servant. We can't do anything to help Jesus. There's nothing we can do for him. We are unprofitable. But we can help ourselves. If we ever get to thinking we're some big, great somebody because of what we do for Jesus, we're back in that deception wagon. We're supposed to be studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every day of our life and saying, am I doing this, Jesus? Am I doing that, Jesus? Because until we do it all, we can't say like Jesus did, Father, I've done your will and I'm ready to go. I want to do the will of God. And I, when I get there, I want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because the rewards are going to be so great in heaven. It's going to be worth every minute that we spent doing what Jesus told us to do here. We can't help ourselves. We can't help Jesus because he don't need us. But we can help ourselves. When we do what he told us to do, it said it increases our faith. The more faith we have, the more prayers we get answered. If God's not answering your prayers, something's wrong. You've either got sin in your life or you don't have faith. So we have got to get off our laziness and pursue the Lord harder than we ever have before. Okay, now I want you to close your eyes if you would. I want to, could I have a little bit of light? Everybody else's eyes closed? The reason I like to do this is because I need to know who to, how to pray. See, the Bible says that we are the shepherd of your souls. We're to watch over your soul. We're to feed you. We're to help you. And so, the reason that we need to know where you are spiritually is we need to have to help you. And so, if you're here this morning, if you would, everyone close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you know that the Lord's dealing with you, that you're not where you need to be. You are not that hot, on fire, faithful bride of Christ. Then everybody, eyes closed. I want you to raise your hand. This is for me and Cricket and Brother Jerry. Okay. Okay. Those of you that raise your hands are the ones I'm going to pray for. Because I know that a good many of the rest of you are deceived. Because I know your lives. I know some of the things you're doing. I know how you're living. And I know that you are not that hot and on fire for God. So that means you're in the Jacob group. And God's got to open your eyes of deception. God's got to help you see who you really are so you can become who you really want to be. So, Father, I just want to thank you for all these people that were honest here this morning. Say, God, we want to move closer. Lord, I ask you to send the Holy Spirit into their lives in a way they've never experienced before. Lord, I ask you, Father, you said that you would confirm your word with signs following. I ask you, Father, in the next day or two, 
I want you to give them a dream. Everyone that raised their hand here that wants to go deeper, closer, more in love. I want you to give them a dream or an open vision. Or when they're reading the word, I want you to highlight a scripture. Speak to them and show them what their next step is. We can't just make a huge leap into that place we need to be. It's baby steps. And as long as you give us one baby step at a time, we'll take it. And we'll take it. So everyone in here this morning that raised your hand, Lord, please show them their next step. Give them the strength to do it, Father. And Lord, I thank you. You said whatever we ask in prayer, believing. Now, those of you that raised your hand, I want you to put my number down in your phone. Because when God speaks to you, I want you to send me a text. And I want you to tell me, the Lord showed me my next step. See, I'm in that place. I need my next step. When we were on our sabbatical the last two months, the Lord spoke to us and said, we've come to the end of a season. Old things are passing away. Everything is becoming new. God said, I've got to have new wineskins to pour the new wine into. We've got to move with the Holy Ghost. See, in the wilderness, the cloud was over the church. And when the cloud moved, they packed up and moved. When the cloud stood still, they stayed. The cloud is moving. The church is fixing to move. But unless the Holy Spirit tells us how to become a new wineskin, he can't pour that new move of God into us. And another thing happens at the end of a season. The Bible says that when the shepherd goes out, I mean, when the gardener goes out and plants his field, that the enemy comes and plants tares in there. And so they start growing up, and the wheat and the tares look just alike. You can't tell which is a wheat and which is a tare. And so the workers came, and they said, do you want us to go pull up the tares? He said, no, it'll uproot both. Wait until the end of the season, the harvest. So at the end of the season, he sent the uh, laborers in, and they bundled up the tares and took them out and burned them. And then the wheat opened up that was full of fruit. At the end of a season... The angels come into a church, Jesus said, start gathering the tares, the hypocrites, the ones who are just going to church not for the right reason, and they start bundling together, and they'll be removed. And then the true fruit, the true wheat will open up full of fruit. And so if you've been bundling with rebellious people in the church, you better repent and get free. Or you're going to be removed and burned, Jesus said. If you want to be true wheat, and when it opens up, there's life and fruit. That fruit has, Jesus said, how do you know them? By their fruit. It's their love. It's their joy. It's their peace. It's their faithfulness. It's their gentleness. It's their goodness. Are you just a troublemaker? Rebel, rebel, rebel. Try to get everybody mad at the pastor. Try to get everybody mad at the Sunday school teachers. It's time to wake up. The angels are gathering the tares. Please don't be in that group. Please don't get removed and burned. Please repent. Be real. Love Jesus with all your heart. Put Him first in your life. Make Him the most important thing you do every day. Produce fruit, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, 
Because we're moving into a new season. This will be the greatest season we've ever known. Amen. The church is going to be the church. And we are going to rock this city. For Jesus. Amen. I love you. Thank you for being here this morning.